Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for All Saints Day in year A. Um, Even though November 1st does not fall exactly on a Sunday, that's what we're going to be observing. Uh, So last Sunday in October, Reformation observance, first Sunday in November, All Saints Day. Um, And that's our theme today as we consider the overall theme, the time in between, living in this time between Jesus' first coming and his final advent in glory, and what that means for us and for the people of this world. Uh, joining us for this series, Pastor Dan Hobbin from Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Flagstaff, Arizona, and Pastor Tom Spiegelberg from Saving Grace Lutheran Church in Mobile, Alabama. So, Tom and Dan, thanks for being with us again. Um, Tom, let's go to you first. Talk to us a little bit about All Saints Day. Um, How do you explain to people what this occasion is all about? Yeah, thanks, John. Good to see you, Dan. And uh, Professor Mitchell, I might just add that I know that our listeners can't see us right now, but your choice of Hawaiian shirts that you're wearing today is exquisite. I just, I love your fashion (laughs) choice. So yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, I, you know, it, it's kind of funny because I think when you're in the parish for a long time, you, you get into these habits of, of preaching, and I suppose everyone does. So I'll tell you how I usually approach the end times, and then you guys let me know how you've done it differently as well. So I think a lot of times when I first started out in ministry, um, I tried to preach through all the gospel texts of the liturgy, like they always encourage you to do. And then after that, I, I probably went more towards the epistles because as you got busier, the epistles are, it seems sometimes easier for application for your congregation. And then I decided I should probably do Old Testament at some point too, just because I'm terrible at Hebrew and it was a good idea to get back in. So after a few years in the, in the, in the, the pericope, you, you cover most of those texts. So then I went to, um, <clears throat> I would just do a book of the Bible and usually Old Testament because that was my worst language. So I did a Jonah or some of these that we don't always do. But usually that's in the end of Pentecost. So by the time you get up to, to um, Reformation and you get into the end times, I almost always switch back to the pericope lessons, at least for those. And, and partly because you got a couple of Sundays in there. And I feel that that just throughout the year, I, I never fully touch on heaven, uh, uh, saints triumphant, kind of along those same lines. You never just preach on heaven unless it's a, a funeral text or something. Same thing with end time, same thing with judgment day. And so I think especially when I got down to the south, these, these Sundays, I always hit the those particular texts. And I preach on judgment day every year. I preach on, on heaven or on, on the saints every year. And I do Christ the King Sunday every year partially because there's there's so many different views out there of the afterlife like you can't just take for granted that your whole congregation has been wells raised in a wells lutheran church before so Mm -hmm. yeah so generally what i do then for all saints sunday um is i preach on heaven so you know the triumphant the saints triumphant uh, but kind of what that looks like, just because there's a lot of different viewpoints that are out there. So in this particular text in, in the Revelation, um, uh, it, just just trying to throw out there, and it might even like this particular one, I might even do more of a narrative outline uh, than necessarily a, a, a point by point, uh, just to try to paint for people a, a picture of what heaven is going to be like more than sitting on clouds with uh, parps and all that kind of stuff, which of course I know doesn't happen. But um, that that would be kind of my focus, especially for this particular Sunday. And I try to do that every year. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. So just getting these 
uh, basic truths about um, what is coming uh, for believers in in the, the the life that God has promised to us in glory. Yeah, just laying that out, getting some basic Bible instruction done. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to do that in these last Sundays of the season. Um, well, uh, we're going to be talking about Revelation 7 today as our sermon text. Before we get into that, uh, Dan, could you remind us of the gospel of the day and the second reading and point out some points of connection. The gospel of the day is Matthew 5, so the Beatitudes from Sermon on the Mount, and of course Jesus is addressing believers and the Beatitudes, I like to think of them of how to be attitudes, and blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, right, and so um, the life of the Christian, as Luther put it, is the life of repentance but it's not all doom and gloom that it, it is leading to something, even though there's going to be persecution along the way. Um, but when that happens, rejoice and be glad um, we will inherit the earth. And so just thinking of in the end, who wins, you know, what's the basic um, theme of revelation, the lamb wins, God's people win. So I see the connection there. Um, the revelation seven that we're going to be preaching on, that's really a fulfillment in essence of all the promises that Jesus gives there in Matthew five, the second lesson, 1 John chapter 3, uh, the world may not have much use for us believers. That's true, but hang in there, and we will in the end be like Christ and get to see God as he is. So those are uh, some obvious connections with um, All Saints Sunday. Yeah, thank you. Uh, sometimes I approach that uh, the Matthew reading um, the gospel, which is traditional for All Saints Day and has been for a long, long time, just kind of uh, as a way of also defining what a saint is um, and, you know, a popular perception of what a saint is. Well, it's a really super good person who has successfully lived for Christ. Um, and Matthew 5 is a way of saying, well, Jesus redefines that. It's someone who is blessed by him, even though uh, you're poor in spirit and mourning and meek and hungering and thirsting, etc. cetera, um, you know, Jesus' definition is of sainthood is is different than uh, what you might encounter out there in the world. So it might be another angle to do that. And similar with the first John attitude, you know, to be a saint is to be a loved child of God. Um, you may not look like it now, but the day will come when uh, we'll see that identity fully revealed. Uh, great. Well, let's get into Revelation 7 a little bit. Uh, Tom, get us started. Could you just uh, give us some uh, helpful hints for preachers about how to go about uh, preaching this beautiful text. Yeah, I'll <clears throat> I'll dig in just a couple of things that jumped out at me in the in in the Greek, and then kind of the kind of the theme that it led me, the direction that it led me into. I remember at one point some professor talking about Matthew thirteen, where Jesus said, "Every teacher of the law uh, bring out of his storehouse as something treasures new and old." And so since I generally preach on heaven every year, uh, I, I, it, was, it was nice doing this text. I never preached on this text in a normal Sunday before I have on, you know, funerals and things like that. Uh, but the, so some of the stuff that struck me as kind of unique in, in this description of the saints triumphant, uh, aside from just the, you know, the, the end time setting that it was sitting in was uh, right away in verse nine, he had. Uh, the four words for um, the human race, nation, tribe, people, and language. And I think, if I'm correct in that, that he does he uses that that those four 
throughout the book of Revelation on seven different occasions, which of course, Revelation is a big book on numbers, but uh, there may be a few different wordings or in different order, but generally keeps bringing that up as kind of the, the, the total package of, of who's going to be there in heaven. And it got me thinking about um, uh, just how, how here on earth, it, it is really easy to divide uh, between uh, nation, which would be like the political boundaries we draw, uh, between tribe, which would be our, our, you know, those that are related to, uh, behind between people, so those within a larger region, and then language, of course, which divides us too, and how much division that causes here on earth, going all the way back to the Tower of Babel, uh, but then also tying into the Book of Acts, where on that first uh, that first day when God kickstarts Christian Church, where where that those languages were all spread out, but the message was the same. And so it kind of just got me th thinking about that picture of heaven, uh, but the, the, the I, I guess the, the contrast between here on earth where we have so much division, whether it's between uh, cultures, nation, the language and everything else, but the beautiful coming together as citizens of God when we get to heaven. And so that's kind of what I jumped on in those first couple of them. Uh, just a couple other notes on the, on the Greek. I'm by far, I am not a Greek scholar at all, but a couple of things that jumped out from people smarter than me. Uh, in verse 11, they actually, there's a pluperfect active indicative. I don't remember ever coming across a pluperfect, which I thought was cool. And then they told me that it's actually just tra translated as a perfect. So I was really uh, disappointed that I didn't actually get to put pluperfect into, into my sermon at all. But um, aside from that, um, the verse 14, there was that one spot where John answers and he answers, sir, you know, when he asks him a question. I also didn't know that Ezekiel uh, in chapter 37 uh, answers the same way. And it's just kind of a kind of a way of saying you will have an answer to that question for me, a little bit of a Hebrewism in there, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and then two other things that jumped out was in verse 15, when it talks about, um, I think it's in verse 15. Uh, where it says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serving him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. I believe if I'm correct on that, that word for shelter, talking about Jesus sheltering us, is where we get our word tabernacle from, too. And, of course, that brings in a whole bunch of images as far as how we are, are surrounded by him. And then the, the other one that just jumped out, maybe verse 17, were the springs of living water. And the way that it was arranged uh, was a little unusual. I, it was something along the life of two lives, water spring, uh, which I think just really gives you a, a bunch of rich images of the living water and the discourse that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And uh, so just a lot of just really, really rich language in this portion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think um, the you, you guys, I'm sure, taught Revelation at different times, too. But isn't it like 68 percent of the verses in revelation have some allusion or reference to the old testament um 68 or 69 percent something like that so yeah just uh and and then often to the new as well you mentioned tom um the uh he will shelter them with his presence he will live with them yeah skenosai um right the the tabernacle word and that goes back to john one even too right uh he yeah, make his yeah. dwelling with them so you've got these connections within john's writings as well um uh dan I'll, I'll turn things over to you just any noteworthy things in the text um that uh, jump out at you especially things that are pertinent for preachers as they think about preaching this i think it's good to look at the um where we're at in the book of revelation 
and you've got the vision of the seals. And so Revelation chapter six, you have the uh, unsealing of the first four and the writers of the apocalypse come out, you know, the, the rider and the white horse that could be Christ with the eternal gospel. It could be false teachers. I think you could go either way with that one. But then the next one, right? The rider and the red horse, continual warfare, bloodshed. Uh, rider and the black horse represents famine. He's got the scales. And then the rider and the pale green horse representing people dying from diseases like COVID. Um, you know, this is all happening. Uh, and so just a reminder that how long have these riders been riding? Well, for 2000 years and they go right through your backyard. And so these saints, they're coming out of the great tribulation. This is the great tribulation they're coming out of. And then it's, it's even worse for believers. The fifth seal, John saw the believers who are put to death for being Christians and they're crying out how long. And then the sixth seal is judgment day. People hiding in caves, you know, mountains fall on us. The wrath of the lamb has come in that, that, that phrase always just so interesting to me. You know, Jesus um, is not just a cool dude and your best friend. He is also your judge and it's the wrath of the lamb that comes. And then there's the pause before the seventh seal. And we have then chapter seven, verses one through eight, the sealing of the elect. So it's a flashback. So in the midst of catastrophe, you've got the scene of serenity. Um, or you could say we're going from peril to paradise, from tribulation to triumph. And it's like this big, okay, all right, here's a, another reality, not another reality, but here's that reality that as believers, uh, the saints triumphant that we want to focus on. And then we have the verses, uh, verses 9 through 17 that we get to focus on. Great. Yeah, thanks for that really helpful context in the, the course of Revelation. Uh, yeah, this vision of paradise right in the middle of, of all these other uh, dramatic and horrific scenes. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, as we often do, law and gospel in this text, or or how you uh, draw on those themes, um, where you see them in this text, how you might present those to your listeners on this Sunday. Um, yeah, what do you think about preaching the law from this text? Uh, where do you see it, or how do you go about that? Uh, Tom, some ideas? Yeah, again, because uh, <clears throat> you got so much, you have so much rich imagery, uh, you have the whole context of Revelation, which of course takes a lot, a lot of explanation. So sometimes it's a little hard to narrow down just the practical, or I found that it was hard to narrow down the practical side of this, but I guess as we're as we're sitting, um, and I know we're not quite to Advent, but already at this time in November, we got you know the Christmas stuff is all out in the stores already. The, the Thanksgiving stuff is put away. I think what I kind of came across is is at least in my mind as I was thinking this through, as he's talking about every tribe, nation, and everyone else that's gathered, and then and then really brings it back to, but you you know you're a people of God, and this is this is this is the this is the kingdom that we have coming as saints militant, this is the kingdom that is there as saints triumphant. Um, I think the, some of the application I brought out is just underlying or, or just uh, um, downplaying, if you will, or, or undervaluing is maybe better, our citizenship in heaven. So there's a lot of things that bring, bring us pride in this world. Like I'm a proud American. I'm a proud Denver Bronco fan. I'm a proud Alabama fan. Roll Tide, you know, those sorts of things. But but really how, how insignificant all of that is, where really our citizenship in heaven trumps all of that. And we, and how often does that fail to play out in our everyday life? Um, I, I think C.S. Lewis has just some brilliant insights on this. And I, I don't know, 
if it was because I, I believe if I got this correct, he wasn't a Christian, then he were a nominal Christian, then became a Christian. His wife was a hard, was a Christian and she died. And so he went through all of this trouble and stuff and just had what seemed to be a good insight on heaven. And I remember uh, just reading an illustration someplace. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead to illustrations, but this popped into my head no, where, you know, he had, he had a couple of them that he, that he come out. He said, you know, how often are we like the, the little child that's playing in the, the mud puddle outside the, the palace where we actually have citizenship with the queen and the king in the palace. And yet we're just content to splash in the mud puddle on the outside because we're not there yet. Or another one was um, the point he made it was at the end of the the line the witch in the wardrobe the the last battle the fifth book in the series and i think he ended it talking about all the characters in the story and he basically said yes this was a great story that they went through but this was just the the title page this was just the, the just a pinprick on the beginning of their lives for their real story chapter one started as soon as they were on to their next life and in an allegory sense he was talking about heaven like what we have here is just the title page. Like, this is who we are. But then really the first chapter that goes on for eternity starts after we get to heaven. And so, and long story short. So the, the law then is just convicts us of how wrapped up we get in this world and fail to see the impact that citizenship in heaven makes for our everyday life. And probably that ends up popping in just because we got Christmas coming up and the crush of materialism is about to happen, you know? Yeah. Okay, so, so looking at this text and realizing how far away from our consciousness it is uh, so often, just that, that this is our reality, an eternal reality, but it yeah, sometimes barely registers. Uh, great. Uh, Dan, some, some thoughts on preaching the law from this text or uh, context? Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Tom, for, you know, just Lasat's uh, spoken like a true missionary, right? When you're serving foreign lands and, you know, you get to meet Christians who are culturally not like you. I mean, a text like this just really brings that home and it just, it makes you long for that reunion, you know, with those believers. And I think too, as, as I mean, I hate to say it, but we Americans can get so wrapped up in ourselves. So yeah, I think that's a good, good application to make. Um, for me, I focused on, I guess, the two songs. The First of all, the cry and the loud voice of the saint, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, what is it that we're going to be singing about in heaven? Not the stuff that I accomplished, not the stuff that I did, but it's all about, hey, this this belongs to God and, and to the Lamb, right? And yet, how many funerals have you been to? Hopefully ones that you haven't presided at, but you've been to where you know, what's the, the lead song? I did it my way. And even though you might not plan on having that song at your funeral, don't we often live that way? It's, it's all about me. And so, you know, I just thought of, you know, some practical applications, you know, do I look with compassion and patience on the cashier who's struggling to complete his job or to roll my eyes, let on an exasperated sigh or the friend or the coworker who says, Hey, you got a minute. I need a listening ear. And this is someone, you know, that this is not going to be five minutes. It's going to be 35 minutes. It's going to be an hour and it's every week. And you're thinking, oh, here we go again, you know, where we we're living for ourselves rather than, you know, for the, for our God and, and for our lamb. Uh, John too, who saw these visions was guilty of thinking that way, right? Arguing with the other disciples who among us is the greatest. And so why is it that they can stand before the throne, I, you know, this is like, I guess, a gospel application. Um, they should be hiding in the corner, you know, like the little boy who broke mom's vase. 
and yet they're standing there because their their robes have been washed in the blood of the lamb. So obviously you you bring in the gospel there. I guess the other the law, um, looking at the song of the angels, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. First question I had is why are the angels singing this and not the saints? I thought of that too. Yeah. Uh, right. And and how are they doing it? Their faces are before the throne as they're worshiping God. I mean, what do they have to be thankful for? Uh, well, God created them. And he created us. And that should be reason enough for us, right, to sing this song. And yet we have a double reason, right, where indeed we have that salvation and forgiveness. But so my question was, do I really think that... All wisdom belongs to God. Do I really think all power belongs to him? Or when I look at my life and I'm going, my life is crappy. You know what? I don't think God knows what he's doing. And I don't, he's not doing anything about it. Whereas that's not what the angels say. And that's the reality, isn't it? That God does have all wisdom. God does have all strength. So I guess those are the, where I went with specific law. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, my, my ideas would be related to kind of some, uh, we, we see the gospel side of things, of course, in this, in this section, you could say is, it's all gospel, it's heaven. Um, but words like tribulation, um, you know, hint at our life now uh, in a fallen world um, and uh, something everybody can relate to in some way. Um, or uh, we'll probably get to this when we talk about gospel uh, thoughts, but um, they've washed their robes and made them white or, uh, okay, well, why did robes need to be washed? Again, this is our reality, this side of heaven. Um, so the trouble that we experience that comes on us from the outside and then our own uh, sins and failures that uh, stain our robes here, you know, this, this is kind of the backdrop. And this is then why I think that just kind of enhances the gospel proclamation too when you say okay these things are gone they're going to be gone and this is jesus promise to us uh but yeah thank you for all, all those thoughts Let, let's get into that kind of gospel uh expressing it in different ways from this text how do you go about that um tom back to you just ideas for i mean it it sounds it, as i asked the question it sounds weird how do you express the gospel from this text <laughs> that is all about heaven you know okay but more specifically, uh, some ideas for preachers. Yeah, something about Jesus loving us and then dying for us and then and a, a kind of an extrapolation on that. Um, mm -hmm. No, and, and trying to keep it very textual and bring it out in, in, a, in a different way. Again, some of those new ways of maybe saying very old things. Um, but the, the, I, I really like Dan's idea. You know, after I listen to Dan, then I think, man, I, that's what I should have done. So I, I got to look back at this text again. But I like the idea of the songs because um, two of them are there and they're both beautiful, beautiful songs. But the, the one, the one I, probably what I was going to key on for a specific gospel was, uh, what verse was it where it says salvation belongs to our God? Verse 10, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And it, it almost seems a little strange, like, well, why, why would God own salvation? But I think what it, it, it's a very gospel a slanted phrase, right? Because if, if you're if you're saying any part of salvation is up to us, no, they're saying no, 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 no. Listen, from the top of heaven down to the bottom of earth, everybody's saying this. This is God's salvation from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, I mean, the Lamb is there, and so 
I, I probably would have gone on then to kind of, again, with the citizen idea, just to think, you know, why, why do I deserve to be an American citizen? Because I was born in the States? Like, that seems like very little to have to become an American citizen. Or like, even if you've lived overseas before, I could not legally become a citizen of St. Lucia because I was a citizen of the United States. They wouldn't let me do that. So you have all of these things where, and if you've ever known immigrants that have struggled with citizenship, we just had a preschool teacher that moved to New York. After 15 years, she is finally an American citizen. And you think about just all of the difficulty and everything that goes in with being a citizen. And yet, why am I a citizen of heaven? Well, salvation was all in the hands of the Lord. And he's the one who chose me, plucked me, gave me my passport and my plane ticket. All I have to do is get there. And even that's pretty easy. I just got to die. So, you know, that's kind of what the gospel message I was going in. And, and hopefully that would help to bring out that idea. So this is why our citizenship in heaven is so valuable to us on earth. And as Dan was thinking, was saying, was talking about that too, uh, isn't that isn't that also why you have the beatitudes to round it up? So all that's that; those are all just marks that we are a citizen in this world. Those are you know something to be praised because if they weren't there, then you'd have to question. Well, you know, am I a citizen? So mm -hmm. that that's what I was going on. Okay, okay. So salvation belongs to our God from top to bottom, beginning to end. It's all Him, and that means uh, citizenship in heaven for each of us. Uh, Dan, uh, thoughts on expressing the gospel from this text? Yeah, I think I mentioned it earlier, but just to expand a little bit on, you know, having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Um, so just how clean are these, right? There's no sin so great that Jesus' blood has not already wiped it from your record. And then I thought, um, that's kind of colloquial, um, trite so is there like a simile is there a metaphor you could come up with and i just thought well it's like what happens when you and this doesn't keep the uh, context color so i know everyone can do better but it's like taking your your hard drive your computer smashing it to bits and then dropping it into a vat of molten lava right i mean there's no record of your sins it's it's totally gone and that's why guess who's singing this song in heaven the thief on the cross the once prostitute rahab the adulterer and murderer, King David. And so will you, right? And you can sing it right now. Um, but yeah, and why is this not just possible, but a reality? Because going back to what Tom was saying, salvation belongs to our God. I was looking back at my notes and I think an old uh, Preach the Word um, article talked about this text. And I think the comment there was God patented salvation. The patent belongs to him. I yeah. thought, no, that's a, that's a good way to put it too. Right. Right. Great. Um, uh, do you um, go into then uh, a lot of unpacking of the verses 15 through 17, uh, the picture of heaven when you preach on this text, or does it depend from uh, what other teaching you're doing about the life to come? Or, um, I mean, this is a challenge of the text. There's so much stuff in it that you can uh, talk about uh, law gospel themes, especially the different pictures for the gospel. Do you guys uh, do much with verses 15 through 17? Is that your plan or touch on them or highlight various aspects of them you think will be uh, appropriate for your listeners? Go ahead, Tom. You go. <laughs> All right. You're always making me go first, Dan. Um, yeah. See, that's the hard part too, because you have how many different sermons could you preach on this text, just taking a particular 
yeah. a particular theme. I, I think that, I mean, probably practically speaking, if you're talking a 15 minute sermon, I probably would take those last verses and just kind of lead the sermon into a triumphal ending and end on those words, just, you know, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Cause it's so self-explanatory. It gives such a vivid picture to begin with. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that you could go, I think that you could bring some of that, some of that out as well in different ways. You know, the, even the verb, when, when it talks about dressed in a robe and white, I believe that verb comes from like the root of it is to dress, but it also comes with wrapping around or engulfing. And, you know, you could kind of think of just a, a white sheet that wraps around, you know, like a victim that gets plucked out of the sea or something like that. And here you have this white robe and the difference between drowning and then being rescued and, and how those verses at the end kind of play into it. Like we have no clue what heaven is going to be like because you can't put into human words in a, a, a heavenly or a spiritual thing even hell hell is always like the fire that doesn't go out it's always like the sulfur that's burning it's always like the the the, the pit outside the city and same thing with heaven and so you just have these this description that just allows your mind to wander on how awesome that's going to be but i, I think what i would do with those verses because it's hard to i, I think what i would do is I would would once again capitalize and just just hopefully leave people with that idea that citizenship in heaven, and the the idea of of that we are are hundred percent saint. You know, we always talk about a confession of sins and we're hundred percent sinner. And Luther and his great explanation, you know, hundred percent sinner, hundred percent saint. And we always have a confession of, of of sins at the beginning of every service to remind ourselves of how we are hundred percent lost because of our sin. But, you know, maybe this would be a great place in a sermon to have a confession of sainthood. But we are also 100% saint. And, like, this is it. This is, this is the beauty of what we're looking forward to. This is our final destination. And as a citizen of heaven, I am 100% saint. And that's me right there. And be able to just leave on that, that, that high point uh, to be able to celebrate my, my sainthood. Uh, because I'm just not there yet. It's just a matter of time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So reinforcing our identity and the reality of it. Um, we are saints and um, it, it kind of, I, I don't want to fall into preaching one of the other readings, but first John three, that reading it's, you know, this is who we are children of God, yeah. but what we will be has not yet been made known. You know, like, like we, we don't mm -hmm. see that identity yet, but here it is in revelation seven. Uh, this is the life that is ours right now because we are 100% saint and this is the life we will experience. Um, we look forward to that. Um, Dan, uh, thoughts on you know how to approach the that beautiful list of, of uh, qualities uh, in verses 15 through 17? I guess I really like Tom's idea there of um, the confession of saints. So when you get that done, Tom, send that my way. I think that would be really cool, you know, to end you know, say your amen, and then well, let's confess our sainthood, you know, that, that would be cool to reinforce the gospel. Um, before I get into, I guess that that the list of 10, I think there's 10 descriptions, you know, this complete description of, of what it's like to be in heaven. Uh, I just want to go back to, um, if I'm going to focus on, do I confess that all power and strength belongs to God? Do I confess that all wisdom belongs to him? It doesn't always feel that way, but so here's maybe an application that um, 
you know, God doesn't call the qualified to bear burdens. He qualifies the called, you know, as it said. So God's not going to let you suffer because he thinks you can handle it. He will give you the strength. You can handle whatever sufferings you're undergoing. So he can bring in the whole Beatitudes descriptions there. And then, but when that feels overwhelming, when you feel like, I just, I can't go on, look to these beautiful uh, descriptions of what it will be like in heaven. And I guess I limited myself or probably limiting myself to that one thought about God will tent with us. So tabernacled and that always has struck me a tent. Is that really the best God can do? You know, of course we're not talking about a Coleman 399, a 39.99 tent at Walmart. Um, I suppose those kind of tents were probably unknown to the people of ancient days. We're, we're talking more Bedouin tent. That was really more RV than tent, right? But be that as it may, what is the point that God tents with us? Isn't it the idea of closeness? The, the time that I feel the most secure with my family is when we're on a long road trip all in the minivan together. You know, we're so close that we can just reach out and hand a snack to each other or reach out and pat someone on the back. And it's just like, okay, everyone's here. We're all safe. Isn't that the point? You're tenting with God. He's right there so close that he can reach over and wipe every single tear from your face. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's how I would do the gospel application. All right. Well, great ideas. Um, Goodwill, any um, ideas for... Uh, themes, um, how you are going to approach this text or kind of what, you know, what, what we've talked about a lot of awesome thoughts, uh, but what kind of central thought are you going to express with a theme? Um, ideas for that or suggestions for preachers, Tom? You know, listen, after Dan's great illustration about his family camping, I think I've gone with that. Dan's family while camping. Yeah, and right. yeah, an allegory of our life as a Christian. I, <laughs> and I'm just thinking of if Dan reaching over and wiping a tear from my eye. No, I thought that was great. I thought that was great. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that illustration, but I will not use your name in it again. Um, <laughs> again, there's just a ton of stuff here. Um, uh, it, it, so three ideas came out, and I I don't know where I'm gonna go with this, but one was that that last song. And just having a theme of never again, all right? So, you know, you think of, we just don't live in the worlds of nevers or always. Um, but the difference the citizenship makes, we're never again. And what will never again be? This stuff that's come because the Lamb has redeemed us. So never again was one. Uh, the other one was just keying off that wrapped in white, just the picture of of, of the, the robe of righteousness, a, a different perspective. We're not, we are not first politically a citizen we're not secondly geographically a citizen we're not third a citizen by language but a different perspective we are god's child but same destination as as we get to heaven by his grace and then the, the my third idea was just going to be um just kind of a narrative uh sermon so literally just describing the scene and the setting of what it would be like for us to stand as a citizen as a saint triumphant um, and what that would what that would reflect on us now, uh, and what that would reflect on us when we get there. And it's a, not a real strict theme on that one, but just kind of that picture of walking through the story, like just taking an individual and saying, "Okay, here you are. You're a sinner and a saint. So here you are as a saint to God. What do you see?" And then being able to describe that with the words that 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 John gave there. 
-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, Dan, ideas? Yeah, I want to ask Tom about that middle thought there, wrapped in white. Um, would you preach that in St. Lucia? <laughs> and and, and um, I'm not being, you know, I, I just, yeah, like, what are your thoughts on question. that? <laughs> just the, the, some of the terminology that the, the Bible uses. Right, um, right. I've, I've become very sensitive to that. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. you can do it, right? But yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. I think that and it's probably different in different places. So St. Lucia, 93% uh, African descent. I don't know that they think in those terms. Yeah. I think it's more of, I, I think it's, it's not necessarily a color of skin. It's, it's economic. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that it would take it. It could be though. However, you're right. There's gotta be a sensitivity there. Um, I think living in Mobile, Alabama, I think that it can definitely be seen uh, in a different sense. And that, that, that thought has crossed my mind on certain texts on pericopes on Sunday morning. Incid interestingly enough, um, I've talked to, uh, you know, some of my African-American members and just ask them, I ask them flat out, how does this strike you? And, you know, they've gone to African-American churches because there's even Lutheran churches down here that are predominantly African-American and the same terminology is used. So I think in a Christian context, mm -hmm. I think to a larger degree, they understand what it's saying, but mm -hmm. I think you, I think you do run the risk of being misunderstood. And I think you need to at least be sensitive to how you portray it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah, it, it just struck me. It just, yeah, yeah. not yeah. faulting you because I wrote it down. I think it is a good, um, yeah, very textual. I guess where I think I'm going to go is focusing on those two songs. I mean, that first one's not really a song. They're crying out in a loud voice, but I'm going to take it as a song. Or, or just this loud voice, right? And I thought back to my days at uh, Northwestern Prep when I'm, you know, thousands of miles away from home where mom and dad are in Japan and how do we communicate, you know, by letter and it would take seven to 10 days. If there was something really important I had to share, then obviously you'd pick up the phone and call, but it was so expensive. Nowadays, man, we can just WhatsApp, whatever you communicate and it's almost virtually free. And you can even see the person you're talking to. Wouldn't that be cool if there was a way that you could communicate or hear from your loved one who is, has died? And I think the text here allows for that, right? And so a possible theme, a message from beyond the grave. <laughs> and, and what are the two thoughts? You know, hallelujah, right? That's that first song, salvation belongs to, to the lamb. Um, your loved one who may have died of cancer and could hardly, you know, even whisper to you is singing in this loud voice. It's with this great voice, right? So they are restored to full strength. And then the second thought would be hang in there. Yeah, we came out of the great tribulation. We know what that's like, but heaven is so worth it, right? Um, the closeness of God reaching over to, to wipe those tears away. So that's where I think I'm going to be going with it. Okay, great. Any uh, final uh, thoughts to share with preachers, um, additional things? Um, yeah, as if there aren't enough already to, to, to grapple with uh, so rich um, this text is. But um, let's let's wrap it there for today. I think preachers have got a lot to think about, a lot to go on as they work on proclaiming the gospel from this text. So uh, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Tom. And uh, God bless you, preachers, as you proclaim uh, the glory of the life to come, the glory of the saints. And remember, we enjoy that sainthood even now.